So significance and validation. They're tricky things. Significance and validation. And as much as we would like to do so, we cannot fully get these things from ourselves. I believe that there's a, a healthy form of, of confidence that we can have and self-confidence. But, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about true validation, gaining a sense of true significance. I've done that many times before and it's never worked out. As a graphic designer, there are times that I have felt like that I just nailed the logo, that I just created the most perfect brand and I submitted it to a client and I get that squinch face. So they're like, yeah, uh, it's nice. I'm like, it's not nice. It's awesome. Nice is a bad way of, nice way of saying bad. There's times I've, I've left here on a Sunday morning and I've just been like, baby, now, and I felt like I just nailed the sermon, right? I'm like, I just knocked it out of the park. I'm like, baby, what'd you think of that message? And I'm just waiting, you know, for her to say what I already think. And she's like, you know, that point you made in the middle, if you would have carried that throughout and really drove that home at the end, man, that could have been so impacting. And I'm like, dang it, she's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we try and authenticate ourselves, if we try to fully validate ourselves, we place ourselves in this unrealistic cycle that will either lead to narcissism or self-loathing. You cannot get true significance through self-recognition. That significance must come in great measure from others. In the end, we can't name ourselves. We see that in the Bible all the time. We see someone was named one thing and God gave them a new name that had profound meaning. The one that immediately comes to mind is, is Simon. His name was Simon. And Jesus said, from this day on, you will be Peter, which means the rock. And upon this rock will my church be built. I mean, just this profound name change. And we can't do that. I can't say to myself, my name was Mark, but from this point forward, I will be called Amazing Yodeler, for I yodel amazingly, or I will be called Phenomenal Tap Dancer. It's a prophetic declaration. I don't know how to do it, but I will be Extraordinary, Hitter of Home Runs, Dunker of Basketballs, Singer of solos. I mean, even, even things I can do. I mean, preacher of sermons. That would be so lame. Designer of lo I mean, whatever. We have to find our self-worth outside of ourselves. We have to find validation outside of ourselves. We have to find significance outside of ourselves. And these things that I'm saying are counter-cultural. That is not what culture teaches and like I said, I'm all for a healthy sense of self-confidence. And I have a healthy sense of self-confidence. But my worth is not found in my ability. My significance is not found in my gifts or my strengths. And thank God, it's also not found in my flaws and my failures. 
and neither are yours. Significance. Validation. What about worth? What about identity? We cannot establish that ourselves. We need someone from the outside to say that we are of great worth. And hear me, the greater the worth of the person telling us so, the more powerful that recognition is to our identity formation. I'm going to say that again. The greater the worth of the person telling us so, the more powerful that recognition is to our identity formation. Let me give you an example. You know, I, you know, style. I, I think Eleanor has amazing style. But when I tell Eleanor I think she has amazing style, it probably doesn't mean a lot because I don't have like the greatest style. I wear chucks. I wear a shirt very similar to this, maybe a different pattern, maybe a different color every week. So when I tell her that that might be nice, but then maybe there's somebody, you know, she goes to a, a nice a boutique and, and someone in that boutique says, oh my gosh, your style is amazing. Now that means a bit more. Then all of a sudden she's, you know, well, you know, up in the mountains one day and she passes Ralph Lauren and Ralph Lauren says, woman, your style is phenomenal. That means something, man. Isn't he handsome? Man. Singing voice. You know, someone could tell Marie, you know, you, you've got a great singing voice. They could say, um, Marie, you really do such an amazing job in leading us in worship. And it means something. But then let's say we're at a worship conference and whoever is leading that conference hears her because she's on the first row and she's got a beautiful voice. And they come and say, hey, I just please stay on the front row the rest of the conference because your voice is so beautiful. I just wanted you to know that. That means something. And then when that person is Lauren Daigle and, and Lauren says... You absolutely nailed it. When you were singing How Can It Be, that's the way the song was always meant to be sung. Right? My wife can tell me good sermon. My mom can tell me good sermon. But if I get an email from Rick Warren saying, I was just cruising through podcasts, came across the Impact Rock podcast, heard your sermon, man, that was a great message. Holy cow, that means something. Or maybe it's Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick's like, you don't got the style like me, you know, and you're not as fit as me, but the message was on point. Or maybe it's a conference call from Rick Warren and Stephen Furtick, and they're like, we were hanging out, we were playing golf, listening to podcasts, heard the Impact Rock podcast, man, your sermon was on point. I don't even know what I would do because I don't even, I've never heard anything like that before in my life. But, but you, you see what I'm saying? The, the, the greater that outside voice that brings validation, the greater the impact is to our formation. I can tell, you know, ladies and men, you know, who love decorating, I can tell you you're an incredible decorator. But if it's Joanna Gaines, Magnolia, Magnolia, Waco, then it means something. I can, Jeremy, I can tell you you're funny. But if Jerry Seinfeld tells you you're funny, then you're funny. 
I'm going to great lengths to make this point. Because when it comes to our identity, when it comes to our worth, we will get conflicting messages. We will get messages that build us up and messages that tear us down. And there will be outside influences and we have to be able to discern what is the greater or what is the greatest voice and what do they have to say. Do you want to establish that strong identity? Young people, when you, when you do a great post on Instagram and people are like, oh my gosh, this, that, and the other, and they have great things to say, that doesn't impact your identity one bit. It might feel good for a moment, but it doesn't impact your identity one bit. Just like if they don't like that same wonderful post and fantastic picture that you took of your beautiful and handsome self, it doesn't mean a hill of beans. What about a new and exciting voice in your life? Are they best qualified to determine your worth? What about the creator of all? What about the king of glory? The architect of the universe? The one who gave his life for you? The one who says, you are altogether lovely and wonderful to me? Because we sing that to him and he goes, that's what I think about you. You're, you're wonderful. Of tremendous worth. I love you. I, I know there's somebody else that you're, you're hoping to hear that from right now. But I love you. I know you don't hear it enough, but I'm telling you right now, I love you. You're awesome. You're making an impact. I see tomorrow. And I see tomorrow's tomorrow's. And you're making a difference. Stay in the fight. Stay in the game. Don't give up. Don't quit. You're awesome. You're touching so many lives. What about this? The voice of God saying, you are forgiven. You are free. The minute you trusted in me, the minute you called upon my name, forgiven, that's what I see. Free, that's what I see. The completed work of Jesus Christ, that's what the Father sees. The minute we believed, the minute we trust, and he says, forgiven. Yeah, yeah, I, I know you're thinking of something you did recently, but that's not what I see. I see forgiven. I see grace. I see promise and hope and strength, and I see my son. That is truth. You are not defined by your weakest moment. You're not. You are not defined by your hardest season. You are not. That's a lie from the enemy. That is not what defines you. Not even a little bit. That is truth. But you're also not defined by your best effort. You're also not defined by your greatest work. 
You're also not defined by your finest song or your most ornate chalkboard lettering. You're not defined by the best version of yourself and we're not defined by our goodest work. We're not. Not in Christ. The one who establishes our definition is Christ and our identity must be established in Christ. Not in us. Not in a novice opinion. We need someone of great worth to establish our worth. And no one is greater than Jesus. Do we believe that? If we believe that, then he's the one who gets to establish us. He's the one who gets to define us. He gets to establish our worth. So if you turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to 2 Samuel 11. I want to look at a historical happening from one of the Bible's most revered men. But quite honestly, it's also one of the most horrific stories in the entire Bible. Second Samuel 11. I'm going to read uh, 2 through 5. I'll kind of unpack a little bit and then I'll keep reading. So verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful and very naked. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one, we don't know who, one of his servants said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and she lay with her, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. There are so many things wrong with David's actions, I don't even know where to begin. Truly horrific. And the sto- I've only read part of the story. Truly horrific story. Voyeurism, lust, invasion of privacy, abuse of power. At best, at best, abuse of power. At best, abuse of position. Definitely adultery. At worst. And what what he did, this is horrific. And let me point something out. This was not a crime of passion. It wasn't. It wasn't a spontaneous oops. It wasn't, oh my gosh, I lost my temper and and sinned, or oh my gosh, I got caught up in this moment and sinned. It wasn't that at all. This was intentional. This was thought out. He had a plan. He inquired. He sent messengers. God was so faithful to, to remind David, this is someone's daughter, and this is someone's wife. I even think when he was inquiring and said, who is this? He probably had to bring other people and say, hey, 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 who is this naked woman? over here and he had to include other people in his sin David had time 
to repent. He had plenty of time to change his mind about his sin and his planned sin, and he did not. I am certain, absolutely certain, that the Spirit of God in David's conscience was no doubt yelling loud and clear that what he was about to do was wrong and that he should not proceed with that stupidity and wickedness. But I'm just as certain that David most likely justified his actions. In some way to himself, he justified his actions most likely with self-pity or self-centeredness. I'm sure he told himself that the weight of his position, the weight of being king, that in some way he deserved this. In some way he had earned a little bit of fun. I just won a major battle. I deserve this. I deserve to feel good. You know what? I'm convinced that nine out of ten ten sins that we commit are of this variety. The thought out variety the Holy Spirit speaking in us, ignoring variety? Do you have a moment to consider and to to contemplate before you do it variety? At least 90%. I'm just convinced of it. It, Very rarely do I have that, that impulsive, got swept up in the moment, sin. I think neither do you. That nasty email the one you know you shouldn't send, the one the Holy Spirit is saying, do not send it. It's mean. It's snarky. It's cruel. You're going to hurt their feelings. You're going to regret it. You're going to feel this small. Don't send it. Don't send it. Walk away. Go potty. Think about it. Do something. But don't send that. Boom. Send. I'm convinced that our conscience yells loudly and doesn't just whisper. And I do say our conscience has a name. And his name is the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 8, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, the sins that most of us commit are not as horrific as the ones we saw with David and they're definitely not seen by society as anywhere near I don't see them that way either but I want you to know something God sees them as just as rebellious because that's what sin is it's rebellion against God sin is a selfish decision I make that in some way goes along the lines of yeah but I I want to do this This is going to feel good when I do this. I deserve to do this just like David must have felt those things. But maybe not to that scale. Maybe it's being harsh and cool or maybe it's telling someone off or maybe it's whatever it would be. Verse 6. We're going to pick up there. I wish I could say that David's despicable sins were, were limited to the ones I read, but they weren't. So verse 6, So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David 
ask, because remember now, Uriah's wife is pregnant because of David. Okay, so Bathsheba's pregnant. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. How you doing, buddy? Then David said to Uriah, go to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, but there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go to his own house. When they had told David, Uriah didn't go to his house. David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel and Judah dwells in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with his servants of the Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And in the letter that David wrote, he said, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew they were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. So David tried to manipulate, tried to do a rope-a-dope, make it cover his own butt, Make it seem like Uriah came home and and got his wife pregnant so that David wouldn't be caught in this sin. David tried to get a man to compromise his character, to compromise his value, to compromise his name and his God and, and his assignment, and, and Uriah would not do it. He would not do it. He remained honorable. And then David put a hit on Uriah. Said, put him in the front of the line and then draw back and make sure he didn't come home. And other godly, valiant, kingdom-fighting men died as well as David said, hey, I don't care about the siege you're up against. I need a dead body. How does someone get restored back to grace after that? How does someone have their identity established and their worth declared to be great after that? How does someone have any semblance of worth after doing such awful things? 
How can anyone have an identity other than one associated with such ugliness and selfishness and sin? Jesus is the answer. Jesus. And Jesus alone. Now I bring up such a horrific story because I am uber confident no one has a story even close. But even if you did, the answer is Jesus. Belief in one greater than us whose opinion matters most and we let him identify us and we let him name us. We let him declare our worth that is not based on anything that society deems as great. As a matter of fact, the, the, the different voices that, that bring the good and the bad, they just don't matter to the richness of his voice to the affection of his words, to the truth. And he's, it's not empty. What he has to say about you is true. When we believe in him, it's truth. The key is when we believe in him, we must believe. We must exchange. See, a price... A price has to be paid to have that type of identity. A price has to be paid to have that type of significance. That's truth. But you and I just can't afford that price. We can never afford that price. No matter how good or great or valiant or honorable or, or beautiful or anything, we could never measure up to the price that's needed for that type of identity. So what's required is belief and exchange. Belief and exchange. We believe in Jesus. That his life was not in vain. That his life was purposeful in every minute he lived. And he did it for you and I. We believe in Jesus as the only way, the only truth the only way to the Father. We believe in Jesus and then we have this exchange. We give Him all the bad. We give Him all the bad. We give Him all the ugliness. We give Him all the heaviness. We give Him all the failure. We give Him all the selfishness. We give it all. And we receive whatever He has to say about us. We receive life. We receive salvation. This is about death and life. We give him death and we receive life. This is not about good and bad. This is not about that we give him our bad and he, and he you know, makes us good. It's about we were dead and we give him that and he makes us alive. Listen to this passage in Romans 6. It's really powerful. Hear, hear the words. Romans 6, 12 through 14 let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Dominion and reign. When we believe, that is exactly what we're called to do, to reign and to rule with God. And sin has no more dominion over us. That doesn't mean that we don't sin. It just has no power over us. It has no reign over us. It has no dominion over us. And so when we sin, we should be quick to repent. We should be quick to confess. And we should do so because shame has no dominion over us. So we should be quick to confess, quick to repent, quick to change our minds and agree with what God has to say about us. That scripture I read is not about doing better or being better or doing more good things. It is about believing and living. So like David, there are times we often, we let sin reign for a moment. All we got to do is accept the truth and agree with the truth. The word repent is the word metanoia. One of my favorite words. It means to rethink meta. to change, to change our minds, to have the mind of Christ. You know, once we believe in Him, guys, that belief absolutely requires change. That's what the word sanctification is. It's talking about walking out of our faith. When we're saved, we're justified, which means I'm saved just as I am. No matter how filthy or flawed or sinful I am, justification means I'm justified by Christ. Just as I am, I am saved. And sanctification is the walking out of my faith. And sanctification is not easy. We fall a lot. We stumble a lot. We get scuffed up a lot. That's sanctification. We walk it out and we daily grow into the image, the likeness, the sound, the smell of Jesus. I don't know what Jesus smells like, but I want to smell like him. I want to sound like him. I want to look like him. Remember the things that, you know, that that I just proposed that David might have said, I deserve this. I deserve to get this off my chest. I deserve to feel good. I deserve to steal this company stapler because it's awesome. Whatever the sin, I don't care if it's stealing a stapler from work and we justify it or sending that nasty email and we justify it or gossiping and we justify it. Or giving someone the cold shoulder and justifying it, you guys, it's this. Man, it's, it's it's rebellion against God. It is, yeah. and it and it is ugly, and it is contrary to 
to Jesus, to the character of Jesus. Uriah the Hittite, and we should all know that name. We should all be like, that dude, when I hear the name Uriah, I think of honor, I think of valor, and I think of character. He wouldn't compromise his character. But I'm here to tell you right now, the only character that can't be compromised is the character of Jesus Christ. That's it. Mine can. I don't know what I don't know what it would but mine can be compromised. You get me in a moment of selfishness and I and I do something that's contrary to my character, yours can. Jesus's cannot. That is why our identity must be established in him. That is why our worth must be established in him. That is how we gain significance. It's this exchange. It's this exchange. So church, I'm asking you guys to constantly remember the exchange and constantly be saying, no, Lord, I gave that to you. I gave death to you and I'm walking in your life. And Lord, I agree with you. And I turn from that. Guys, it has to be about Jesus. Everything we're preaching, everything that comes out of the word of God is about Jesus. Because that's the only name by which we can be saved.